This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Mike Woolhouse, thanks very much for uh, making a talky book debut. We usually have Nick McLean from Surrey Asset Management, but we've got the brains of the organisation in here today. So uh, maybe before we get into your stock, if you just talk us about Surrey Asset Management, what your guys' investment style is and how you guys have performed lately. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for having me on the show, Chris. Um, appreciate the invitation. So, yeah, Surrey was established back in 2018, like you said, with my co-portfolio manager, Nick McLean. The fund is focused on small caps. Uh, we're bottom-up investors looking for value with a growth bias, solid balance sheets and catalyst-rich investments is what we're after. So the portfolio construction is high conviction. We have around 30 stocks in the portfolio at any one time. Um, 70% of the capital is invested in the Small Ordinaries Index and only 30% outside that. So what that does is it creates a, a construct that gives it high liquidity um, and capital preservation is what we're after. So, um, And yeah, the performance, the, the fund's been growing really well over the last 12 months um, and the 2021 financial year performance was up around 34%. So the unit holders were pretty pleased with that outcome. Beautiful. And uh, and what stock did you want to talk us through today? The stock I'd like to talk about today is is, uh, is one that Surrey's one of Surrey's top five positions and has been that way for oh, quite a while now actually, and mainly driven by share price performance. Um, and that's Unity Group. The ticker's UWL. And what do they do for uh, for listeners that haven't heard of Unity Group? Yeah. Okay. So at its core, it's it's similar to the national broadband networks or the NBN. So it builds, owns, and operates fibre to the premise networks in both housing estates, in new housing estates, and also MDUs or multi-dwelling units or high-rise apartments to keep it simple. So its network that it has now is about 1,200 sites around Australia. So the fibre to the premise networks are long-life infrastructure type assets, highly sought after, they're defensive, and in some cases they're monopoly-like. And so they've got a few different business units as well, some other sort of telco business units. Talk to me about what those other ones are. And I guess it sounds like you really see this as more of an infrastructure play than anything yeah. else. Yeah, okay. So it's good to briefly sort of touch on the two smaller businesses um, and then we'll elaborate on the larger division being the, the wholesale and infrastructure division. So communication platform as a service or CPAS as they call it, um, this division will contribute around about 15% of revenue, but also about 15% of EBITDA, but it also has 65% EBITDA margins and also 100% or almost 100% cash conversion on that number. So it's a very solid contributor to the overall valuation of Unity. And what sort of services are in that business unit? Yeah, so its main offering is the provision of 13, 1300-1800 numbers or phone words, so 13Surrey if you like. Um, enabling businesses to provide additional marketing um, tools. And so while it appears simple, its strong margins and its recurring revenue make CPAS a valuable contributor to the unity valuation. The consumer business segment, which is probably the next, the smaller one, um, it provides traditional on-net and off-net broadband and voice services. Um, to consumers and also businesses. So its brands are FuseNet, Harbour ISP, 1300 Broadband and also Unity under their own name. And this division will contribute around about 25% of revenue but only 5% of Group EBITDA. So it's slightly uh, slightly smaller than the others. So and do they end up rolling those brands up into one 
brand? Does that sort of make, no, make sense? Do you think they'll keep with a fragmented approach? Yeah, I think there's definitely power in having a few different brand names out there because it's a very um, a scattered market. And yeah, by having a couple of different ones, it, it certainly helps. So yep. they have done some consolidation and this is where they, they say that they're going to end up with. Um, so that probably brings us to the largest division and the one that you know Surrey gets probably more excited about um, and that's the wholesale and infrastructure division. So this business segment makes up about 60% of the revenue but 80% of the group contributed EBITDA. So the simplistic way to describe this division is that it's similar to the NBN basically. So in fact, it's the second largest fibre to the premise network behind the NBN. Um, it builds fibre networks for property developers that require that are required in both broadacre and apartment buildings. Um, property developers are required or legislated to, when they do a broadacre development or a new apartment building, are required to lay the fibre. Just exa- exactly the same as NBN's been going out and replicating Telstra's copper. If you build a new building, you've got to put the fibre in there. So, so they call on NBN or Unity to lay the fibre for them in their new developments. So the business model is quite attractive to Unity, really, because the property developer funds the new network and then Unity owns and manages the network once it's completed. So in the new estates and new, new buildings, generally there's only one set of fibre that's mm. set down. Um, it make, makes penetration difficult for new competitors to arrive and to lay a second set of fibre. Quite often, there's just not room in the pipe or not not room in the riser of the apartment building for that to be replicated at all. So the property developers choose Unity for a number of reasons over its competitors, time to completion, price, service levels, extra technologies, layers that are offered, um, and it just makes the process fairly competitive out there on pricing. So one of the new areas of focus for Unity is the mixed-use sites, and that's the sites that you sort of see coming up around in the inner suburbs where shopping centres, offices and residential complexes are built as one, effectively. So these offer Unity a great opportunity because it enables them to um, put all their offering on the table to the developers. The other development sites that are occurring out there are the mixed-use sites. They combine shopping centre complexes, offices and apartments. This offers Unity an opportunity to put its fibre and its additional core tech offering to good use. These sites are more complex and require tailored offering to get the best outcome for connected for connected users once it's completed. Unity then owns and operates these fibre networks and on-sells the connection to resellers, such as Telstra or Optus or one of their own divisions being FuseNet or Harbour ISP. This division doesn't suffer from churn like the mm. resellers do because once a premise is connected, the end user generally stays connected. They may churn from one provider to another provider, but at the end of the day, the connection stays with Unity, so that Unity continues to receive a fee for that connection. The churn is very low in this business. So with strong foothold in fibre to the premise network, there's an opportunity to increase the market share, exploit the cost efficiencies, and as the connected premises grow, the demand for data and speed will increase, and higher revenues and cash flow will be evident. And so how do you rank those sort of EBIT numbers you see from the infrastructure assets compared to the, the sort of telco service provider assets, do you obviously value them much higher due to the economic mode? Yeah, definitely. The wholesale and infrastructure assets inside Unity should be considered infrastructure-like. Um, you know, the name, main difference between the assets in Unity and in its telco peers really is that Unity doesn't suffer from the churn in 80% of its revenue. Um, 
that the other telcos do sort of suffer from. So, you know, once the, the premise is connected, it stays connected. So it's a reseller that needs to invest in marketing in order to avoid the churn that occurs out there. So with a useful life of 25 years or more, um, there's certainty that can be factored in. So from that perspective, while there is some cross-sell between the different divisions of Unity, um, the, the different business divisions between the wholesale and infrastructure division, we definitely command a higher price for the wholesale and infrastructure division. And it's probably about double. If you were to separate them out, it would be sort of twice the valuation of the other divisions. So albeit, um, uh, you know, the other divisions can stand on their own. Um, and could be separated out. And they've been highly acquisitive in the past. Yep. Do you see that stopping now or do you see acquisitions of, of smaller businesses still a key part of their, their future plans? Yeah, no, they, there's, there's, no, there's no denying it. They have been acquisitive. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, management has spent $1.1 billion across 10 acquisitions. So they're, they're not sort of, uh, not small numbers by any means. So, and recently they've been very clear and consistent on their investor calls that there's nothing large in their sites. Um, they're sending the message to the market that the business is built and it's time for organic growth um, and they're gonna leverage what they've already got. There's an opportunity for management here to complete the integration of the existing businesses um, and the acquisitions and to demonstrate to the market and to investors that the maturity and the power of the growth that Unity has already secured. So saying in markets that roll-ups work until they don't, which <laughs> is proven true for me historically. You know, you make all the acquisitions that make sense early and you keep rolling up until they don't. It looks like Unity have avoided that yeah. so far. Yeah. Outside of this, what are some of the clues you look to when there is a roll-up that things are starting to go south? Is it purely a case where the organic growth's not there or are there other clues historically that have pointed to a roll-up where you yeah. think, yeah, they've gone one too far here? Yeah, yeah, definitely... Um uh, a good question, and you know, one of the one of the main things, the answer aside, is is the sniff test. Is you know, is when when management change their rhetoric, you got to be really careful. You know, that's the and that's meeting with management on an ongoing basis really defines your, your sniff test. So, you know, sometimes during reporting season, we'll we'll see Unity present three or five times, yeah. just making sure that the answer is consistent. Um, otherwise, if you start to get those inconsistencies, then that's when you can sort of get suspicious. So, yeah. But at the end of the day, you've really got to you know, have your meetings with management, dig on those questions, and then go away and do your work and find out and dig yourself and make sure that um, premises have been consolidated. One sales team's aware of the other sales team. You know, have they combined? What are their LinkedIn profiles doing? All those sort of things. You really need to dig to make sure um, because, as you said, roll-ups, You've got to be careful. There's no doubt about it. So. And what sort of organic growth rates are you expecting from Unity revenue-wise in the next 12 months? Yeah, okay. So post the Opticom and the Velocity acquisitions, we added those contributions into the model um, and organic growth became you know, the focal point of our investment thesis. So it became a, what we call a do-nothing $200 million EBITDA business you know, post those two acquisitions. So... And what I mean by that is all they have to do is integrate those businesses correctly, make no further acquisitions, and continue to add new connections. And the EBITDA will grow from what it was in 2021 of $87 million to about $200 million in 2025 or thereabouts. There's not many organic growth opportunities similar to Unity in the infrastructure type investments that you can find that are similar to that. And I guess migration opening up will be a tailwind 
for Unity. I guess they're yeah. they're pretty closely linked to more dwellings being built to yep. the revenue numbers going up. Is that yep. sort of something you'll be looking forward to that that could provide a tailwind? Migrations. Um, it's a great addition to Unity. Um, you know, the wholesale and infrastructure division already has two hundred and fifty thousand premises that are ready to connect. So that's buildings or apartments that are finished um, and and contracted and ready to have their fibre plugged into them. Um, and Unity has a line of sight of another 565,000. Um, oh, sorry, for that number to grow from 250,000 to 565,000 in future years. So we haven't had a lot of migration in the last two years. You know, if, if the numbers are very low. So, um, you know, that will spur on property development in the outer suburbs, which is Unity's key, effectively. So, um, you know, it's, it's those sort of numbers and the bias towards broadacre connections where the activation rate is much higher um, and it's that asset that can drive the organic growth to that 100% mark that we were talking about before. And talk me through the numbers. What's the enterprise value to, um, to EBITDA ratio? Yeah, so in the financial year 23 numbers, it's trading at circa 18 times EV to EBITDA. You know, its peer group is around 13 to 14 currently, um, but the peer group doesn't always have the infrastructure type base that Unity has, and that's probably the point of difference. So with the wholesale and infrastructure division contributing 80% of the group's EBITDA, it deserves to trade at a premium to the peers and most likely a market multiple as well. And what's their balance sheet looking like? Yeah, I mean, the balance sheet strength is something that we focus on at Surrey. We tend to avoid the stretched balance sheets um, and the high debt levels. So Unity's been putting its balance sheet to work um, since its listing with a combination of debt and equity over the journey to fund its acquisition. So net debt peaked at around 200 million in 2021. Um, but it's forecast to come down to around about 120 million in 2022. And with EBITDA around 145 million forecast for 2022, you know, we're very comfortable with those ratios. So, um, you know, and on the back of that, the board has actually approved a buyback, which, you know, further improves the capital ratios once they start it. It also sends a strong message to the market that the board, that the management team is focused on organic growth. And there's been a a little bit of noise around that Unity could be acquired by a a larger partner going forward. Who's the most logical acquirer in your mind if that was to happen? Yeah, definitely. So we've certainly had this as a potential catalyst um, since we acquired Unity in 2020. So, you know, and there's been some noise and some confirmation um, recently. So, you know, a recent company disclosure um, informed the market that there'd been more than one party interested in, in acquiring the company um, or forming a transaction, if you like. So given Unity had to outbid Aware Super for the Opticom assets, mm. you know, that makes um, Aware and other super funds, you know, a, a, a fairly obvious candidate um, for the assets that are inside um, Unity, as well as, you know, there's been plenty of demand for infrastructure type assets from global players as well recently. That's great. All right, well, let's say... Uh that's a pretty compelling story, I reckon, Mike. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and, and walking us through it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, mate. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.